Hey campfire listeners, when I'm looking for a classic video game, the place I go to is Ridley's Gaming Realm. This is a Facebook page where members can talk about classic video games and then sell their classic video games to each other. With over a year on Facebook, they've had no fraud so far with their trading of video games. So if you're looking for classic video games, go on to Facebook and check out Ridley's Gaming Realm. All this top 40 music is so boring. Jeez, I sure wish I had something geeky to listen to. Well, I've got just the thing for you, stranger. Who are you and how did you get in my house? Don't even worry about that. If you're looking for the latest, greatest, and geekiest podcasts around, you should check out Those Geeks You Know. Those Geeks You Know? Wow! Three friends talking about comic books, movies, TV shows, all the things that I geek out about. But seriously, you gotta leave now. Be sure to check out Those Geeks You Know on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter and tell everybody that you know. You gotta leave. I called the cops. Listeners, I have my second author actually on the podcast. I know I've done a couple book reviews and I had my interview with Bob Prohl. Well, now I've got Megs Kalea on. Uh, she wrote Acorn and Roots, which I just finished about two weeks ago. It was a very fun book. So we are going to talk about that book and her writing process today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I got to say, I checked out your IMDb beforehand and I noticed you're from Canada. Do you still live in Canada? Yes, I am currently in Vancouver on the West Coast. That explains why in your background, I still see the sun up. It's pretty glorious out right now. Yes. Where we, I've got the sun setting here. It's still very bright, actually. I, I saw Toronto and I wanted to talk Toronto because me and my family love Toronto. We go there, well, pre-lockdown, we went there at least once a year. Mm-hmm. And now we can't cross the border, so. Yes, there hasn't been a lot of travel lately. Yes, I was born in Toronto, um but I live in Vancouver. I've been here for a while, so. Yeah, I, yeah living in Rochester, New York, the furthest <laughs> I've ever really gotten is Toronto, but I'd love to go see <laughs> other parts of Canada at yeah. some point. I got to go explore the West Coast. Yeah, I've, I should explore New York, so yeah. we can compare notes. Oh, yes. New York is a crazy state because people are like, oh, you're near the city. And I'm like, no, I can actually get to Washington, D.C. quicker than I can get to the city. And it's only a two-hour drive to Toronto. I was supposed to go see Hamilton in Toronto, and then everything got locked down. So that didn't happen. That would have been amazing. I have not seen Hamilton. I'm very jealous of everyone who has managed to see it. Well, it would have been my second time seeing it. Our little local theater here, uh, the Rochester Broadway Theater got it, uh, showing of it. And then I was going to see it at Toronto at one of the bigger theaters. So Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm a little sad that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk books then. Uh, Before we get into your book, um, I want to just talk about your writing as a whole. So uh, what are your inspirations in writing? Because what authors do you like? Where do you kind of pull your inspiration from? Well, when I was young, my sort of go-to books were um, a lot of fiction classics. So I was a big Narnia nerd when I was a kid. So I loved reading all seven Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Most people kind of just know of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, But there's seven, and I was a big enough nerd to have read all all seven of those multiple times. Um, So definitely Narnia. I also just gravitated towards um, other kind of fiction stories with fantastical sort of elements. So like Alice in Wonderland. I'm Canadian, so Anne of Green Gables was like a really big thing. Um, Just this young girl with a wild imagination. Um, And then I also really loved movies like Ferngully. And I mean, The Princess Bride was kind of my jam. So that sort of mix of fiction and imagination and weirdness is kind of what I loved. <laughs> I gotta say, I did not know there were uh, seven Narnia books. It was only the one. Um, I didn't really get into the fantasy style fiction till I was older. Like I tried doing Lord of the Rings and it mm-hmm. was too much for me. And once Game of Thrones hit TV, I went and read Game of Thrones. And now I'm starting to do more of those style books. So I had no idea there were seven of those books. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the fantasy, I guess, I was reading wasn't as much as, like, um, like it wasn't, like, the lore kind of aspect with, like, Lord of the Rings and and kind of the deep fantasy. It was definitely more of, um, you know, children's fiction with some weird kind of imaginative stuff. But, yeah, a lot of people don't know about all those chronicles, and um, there's seven. Wow. (laughs) That that is... Well, I mean, I, I read... Uh, the Gunslinger and the Dark Tower books, and there's seven of those. And mm. that was probably the longest series I've read. I haven't finished Game of Thrones because they just haven't done the next book yet, and there's still supposed to be two more, and I'm like, I just don't want to wait another be two 20 more. years. I thought there was just going to be one more, but there's going to be two. Okay. There's uh, Winds of Winter and A Song of Summer still. Right. And Winds of Winter was supposed to come out while the show was still on. Uh, the show's now ended two years yeah. ago, I think. Was it Was it really two years ago? Honestly, it was two years ago. I definitely remember, like, the night I watched the finale. And um, in, in my neighborhood, it doesn't exist anymore. But there was this wonderful little restaurant that was kind of like the geek fantasy restaurant where you could like play board games and like roll dice for mystery drinks and they would always do like the screenings of um game of thrones like every sunday night people in like costume would just be like lined up down the street and so i definitely remember the event of like the finale but i can't believe it was two years oh my goodness i mean what is time these days oh god nothing uh (laughs) i was listening to something and they're like hey do you realize it's june 2021 and i was like oh it's june 2021 already so yeah time is nothing anymore (laughs) no so with writing um 
you know, one of the other things that I find interesting is do writers choose to write digitally first or physically, like on a notepad? When you wrote your book out first, were you straight to like a digital format or did you use a notepad to write on? Um, this was probably the first kind of writing book. I mean, it's the first novel that I've published, but I had a, growing up, I was always <laughs> trying to write novels, I guess you could call them, that didn't really go anywhere. Um, but this was probably the first piece of writing where I started on laptop, which I never really did. I was definitely like the notebook kind of girl, um, you know, even like into all hours of the night with like a flashlight and a notebook. So my parents couldn't see like <laughs> the light on just like, I don't know what I thought it was like writing that was so mysterious. Um, but I, I definitely was always kind of a notepad person. And for this one, I def, well, I mean, I started on laptop, I kind of just started typing, but there were definitely points throughout the writing process where I would switch and mix because, you know, if I was not home and I had an idea and I needed to write it down, I would pull out my little notebook that I would have in my purse or whatever and write things down. And And if I was really struggling with something, usually if I have writer's block or if writing is difficult, I have to be away from the screen and I can usually like work it out on pen and paper form. So that's kind of my, my go-to, but weirdly the laptop came through on this one. I don't know. That's interesting to me because I, the same way I've tried to write stories, but they never really go anywhere. And I was like, oh, maybe laptop will work. And it didn't. So then I tried tablet and now I'm just back to pen and paper again when I do start writing a story. Cause I'm like, with the tablet, I had the handwriting tool, but I'm like, it gives you this little box. It's not like really writing on a piece of paper. Yeah. It's like, I don't, okay. So I don't have a tablet. I just have like a laptop, but it's, is, is it like, uh, like, do they give you like a physical kind of like, pen thing to write on or is it just like your finger so i bought one of those cheap physical pens to replace my finger but yes it's a physical pen but then like you've got the 10 inch screen and you've got a little two inch box that you can actually write in right oh yeah that's weird yeah it's very very (laughs) weird Um, technology man i feel like i sound so old most of the time when i'm like what will they do next technology (laughs) but like (laughs) i mean it's been around (laughs) i really want this one piece of technology i've seen i get targeted ads on instagram and there's one it's a notebook that you can physically write in and then somehow the pen holds the writing and you can plug it into your computer after and it'll put it into your computer like it, it transcribes the written into yeah, type. Yeah, in, into type. type. And then, you know, there might be spelling errors and stuff, but you can just then correct the spelling errors and you get the type that you just read. And now you have your physical notebook and your computer f- version of it. This so, is the future. This, this, is, <laughs> this is the future. This is totally wow. the future of writing. That's genius because I don't like taking my handwritten notes and typing them out. Well, there you go. I really don't like that. So now I want that too. (laughs) Yeah. One of my coworkers had to get it because he's like, uh, my boss kept complaining that uh, I don't ever put my notes in our database, but I handwrite all my notes. So my wife bought me this tool for Christmas that takes my handwritten notes and puts it in my computer. And I'm like, 
that's absolutely amazing. He goes, yeah, it's also a $250 tool and you have to buy special paper. So when you fill a notebook, you can only buy the notebook from the company. And I'm like, well, that's how they get you. That's exactly how they get you. But now that's your Instagram is now just like targeted ads. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, my phone's listening to me and it, I know it, the, it the ads, those target ads. It's so weird, right? Like I, like there's definitely been times where I have said something, and I haven't typed it, and then it's come up. But then I also feel like probably typed it at some point, and I just think that it's listening. Like, am I paranoid or is it true? I don't know. I, don't I have know. no idea. But sometimes probably those a little ads of, are, of both. Are too <laughs> good because I'll be like. I really want that. How did it know that I wanted this thing? I didn't know I wanted. So Instagram's yeah. too good at that. What's the weirdest ad you've gotten targeted for you? Oh, there was one. I don't remember what it is, uh, but it wasn't even something I was looking at. It was something my wife was looking at and we were talking about it. And, th- and I don't remember if I Google searched it, but that's when I was like, my phone's listening to me and I got a targeted ad and I was like, this is something my wife wants. And it's targeting me on here to be like, Hey, here's a gift idea. Hmm. So those definitely yeah. exist. Mm-hmm. They do. So talking about uh, your book, Acorn and Roots, I really enjoyed this book. I, it was one of those Thank ones you. where I couldn't set it down. Like there was one night where I was like, Oh, this chapter is short enough. I'll read the next one. But I got to know what happens now. I'll read the next one. And it was probably a little bit after the halfway point that like I everything's just started to really, really pick up. And I'm just like, well, now I got to know how it ends. Like in two days, I read the entire rest of the book after getting through the first section. So lots of fun. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. But we're going to go into a little bit of spoilers territory because i have some questions for you about the book and some popped into my head while reading it um and part of it was around the real world i really liked this real world uh slash magical world aspect and then the magical world needed to let you in like (laughs) if it didn't let you in you would have never known this magical world existed uh Amer Amer would never have thrown the uh, object and caused everything to start happening. But one question I kept running into kind of internally is in the real world, was it our real world or was it like an alternate real world? And what time frame did it happen in? Because to me, it felt very maybe 1940s, 1950s. It didn't feel like a super high tech real world. Um, and that was an interesting concept to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, intentionally. So when I first started writing it, I intentionally wanted to make it as vague as possible because, I mean, for a number of reasons, one of which I was a very new writer and I probably was just not sure what I was doing. But one of the major reasons I wanted it to be vague was so that people could kind of imagine it to be any place or any time. Um, because I did want it to be unique to the reader that was reading it, because that's what I loved about reading books, was making my own little world. So I tried to make it sort of vague, but um, 
it definitely takes place in like the well, let me see if I've got my timeline right here um, it's sort of between 1950 and 1985 All right. hangs around in there um, and it's sort of similar to what we would consider our reality but nothing is ever completely as it seems so yes yes i wasn't that far off then in thinking no you did pretty good Uh, it was really the fact that you know there weren't any mentions of modern technology and the fact like uh amer was given this map and he's Mm -hmm. like follow this map and i'm like no one would do that anymore. They'd be like, I'm going to put that location in GPS and follow it in GPS. And I was like, that was the other thing. I was like, where did this map come from? That was like, you had these like little mysteries in there that kept it vague that just were very interesting to me with that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the, the, the weirdness. I mean, I also feel like we should bring back maps. I don't know. Is that just me? Uh, I think they're great. You know, we uh, just recently uh, traveled from Rochester down to Virginia for a family vacation, and I was on Google Map the entire time, but we also had the road atlas, and I was like, I almost feel like it'd be easier to be the road atlas, but when we need those exits, I feel like that's what the trip counter and cars used to be for. All right, you're looking at it, Mm. it's 50 miles till the exit, hit the trip counter, and then you can see how close but yes, mm-hmm. maps are are great. I use them sometimes on my walk, but it's still on Google Maps, not physical maps. That's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> so one of the other mysteries that intrigued me was um, Melo, the um, main bad guy, I guess. Melo, yeah. Yes, to call it. Um, I found it very interesting when you established his character when he was younger to be like he was always the calmer one around Ben like didn't have much to him and to go how did he get here and I know he was corrupted by the evil uh oh man I'm blanking on what that was called now I mean to be fair I made up these words so you're doing very good (laughs) <laughs> I, I took some notes to actually try to remember. I really all just these. made them up. Um, Tagne, yeah, the dark magic. We'll call the, it dark magic. The dark yeah. magic. Yeah. So being interested in this character now is like, did he always seek power and seeking power is what got him corrupted? Or did something random happen to him? If you're willing to give up your headcanon for the character, what were your thoughts on that? Um. There was definitely a road that got him to where he is now. I will say that. Um, (laughs) That's what I'll say. (laughs) It it was very, at times, uh, you know, I've played D&D and stuff where I'm like, I need need to know more of the lore that I'm working within. Like, Mm -hmm. give me the lore. Uh, It's it's there. Um, It it might not be written explicitly in in the book um but it like it there's definitely i i definitely mapped out oh probably far too much of this world in my mind um and on random sheets of paper that are strewn about my storage room right now but um it's 
it was really important to me to sort of map out even the stuff that would never make it into the book, just because I feel like that just inherently made would make the writing better and stronger. Um, so there definitely was a lot that went into making Mallow into the man he is now. I've always kind of been fascinated by the idea that, um, you know, people aren't necessarily, I don't think people are born a villain. I also don't think they're a villain in their own story. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff there that's under the surface. And um, I don't think you could be that sadistic and cruel and terrible if, if a lot of things haven't, hadn't happened to you. And he was pretty sadistic, cruel and terrible person. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked (laughs) with with the dark magic too. um, that whole scene that took place uh, when they're going over the mountain and this character's name, I did not write down. So I'm completely blanking on it, but like the, the drunkard character that uh, Plana brought everyone together and he gets lured off by the dark magic. And that scene was like suspenseful. And I really enjoyed that. And like, don't, don't look off to the side, stay straight because the dark magic's everywhere. And it's going to try to get you here. That mm-hmm. was, I was the danger built up in there was a lot of fun. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad that it did its job. It, it did. <laughs> it did. Well, you say you've got some stuff strewn around your storage room. Uh, one of the other things, and I read it on my cell phone, so this made it hard, but the very first page had your map and yes. the lyrics. So did you do that up too as part of your like design? You drew a map or did you go out and have someone work on a map for you? Yeah, there's there's a few things in there. I kind of, I mean, I, I couldn't just write a book. I also had to go extreme and try to create all these I couldn't I'm overachiever I don't know um I I definitely there was a person that um made the maps like through through my publisher they they assigned me a a a map guy who made the map (laughs) um and so I I had a very rough I am not an illustrator by any means but I had sort of a very rough drawing scratched over of of where things needed to be in terms of geography basically um and i and i sent that to um to him and he came back with a couple options in terms of like what style i was looking for and then we made some tweaks there um and so they they did that which was awesome um and really cool to see come to life um in a way that was so much better than I could have done myself. Um, but it was really, I always loved maps in books as a kid. I, I just loved them. I thought that, you know, it was, especially on like a, a book where they're going on an adventure and through things, I wanted people to kind of be able to track it if they wanted to or, or kind of help visualize exactly where they are because it is a, a completely different world. Um, so I thought it would be helpful if if readers wanted to see that. Um, so there was a map person, um, the music. Yeah, I, I did that. Um, I, I plugged it into my music program on my laptop and it spit out some sheet music for me. So that was, that was helpful. Oh, yeah. nice. 
Yeah, you really got into the world building part of that. I went a little extreme, I guess. Have you played Dungeons and Dragons? Have you been a dungeon master before? You know what? People always ask me this. And I have actually never played Dungeons and Dragons before. But I want to because I actually think I would really enjoy it. The problem that I have is the people in my life, they either don't play Dungeons and Dragons or don't know about it. Or they're like deep into it and I just don't know if they would put up with like my incessant questioning and stopping and like need to you know so it's like I need to find the right people for it that is a very true thing I enjoy it but I am not deep into it uh by any sense like when I play I tell my friends that I'm gonna play the brute character and they're like why and I'm like because when it gets to combat I have one choice I walk up and I hit something. I'm not sitting here going, oh, I could do this spell and then this spell. And I'm like, I, I can't think too much about that because I don't know the rules enough. But I know mm-hmm. enough to say I can walk up and hit something as the right. brute character in Dungeons and Dragons. So you would be a good person to play with because you wouldn't get upset by some newcomer being like, oh, what about this? What about this? Explain this to me. Like, I don't want to be that person to people that... Those (laughs) those groups definitely exist out there. Uh, Mm. But yeah, there are those people that are deep into it. And that is not me. So, But I think I would really like it. it, It's a fun game. And I think dungeon mastering where you build the world and tell the story is something that this made me think of it. Because you built Mm. the world and you told a story. Though you don't control the characters in that. Your characters are your friends that you're playing with. So Hmm. they might do something that you don't expect them to. Hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, I'll um, find the right people soon and take up some D and D. You know, with uh, pandemic life, I think there's a bunch of online groups now. If you're willing to play with random people, like I think roll 20 is the application that's out there. It's a website and you can play oh, online app, with like, people. The, when you said application, yes, obviously an app. But for some reason, I, I had this idea that you had to like apply. Oh, yes, you have to. <laughs> you know, there's a 20-page question. No, I, like, I don't know if I'm ready website. for that. No, it's just <laughs> right. a website. So, mm. um, <laughs> And then I want to talk about the main character. Uh, and I'm going to butcher Phoebe? this name right now. Can you oh, say that, try, say that again? Try? Oh, okay. Philili. Um, yeah, or or whatever you see in your mind is also uh, fine, okay. too. Yeah, uh, the entire time I read the book, I'm going, Philly. <laughs> I, I kept Great. reading it in my head as Philly. I was like, okay, that works. <laughs> sure, love that Philly. <laughs> uh, that character was just... I loved her character depth throughout it because she starts off so closed off and so confused about who she is because she's been told she's someone special um you know to in my mind relate it to star wars it's like if luke skywalker knew who he was from day one but didn't know what that meant by who he was Mm -hmm. and i thought that was so like she's trying to figure out who she is and the entire forest is just like no you're the one that's gonna save us and she's like how and that was just like her whole journey i i loved that whole journey that she had to go through 
to figure out who she was. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for saying that. Um, that that um, means a lot because I, I really love her so much. Um, and I think when I set out to write both Feely and Emmer, I, I wanted to make them as human as possible. Like, yes, of course, Feely is a pixie. She's not a human, but I still wanted so much about her to be human um, because that's that's the reality of, of us, right? We're not perfect. We are completely flawed. Um, we're sometimes given far more responsibility than we can handle or think we deserve. Um, we, we don't know our purpose in life sometimes, most of the time. Um, and we feel alone and we are figuring it out. Um, so I, I really, really wanted to make sure that they didn't seem like, you know, these, these perfect heroes in some way that were just um, the good guys, right? I, I really tried not to have, you know, the good guys and the bad guys and, and the good, you know, team and the bad team. So I, um, I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed her. I think she's great. Yeah. And even though she was the good guy, you gave her that complex level of not being all good. Uh, you know, that scene in the forest that really stuck out when she let her anger overtake her and she like left her body uh, for a while in the forest because her anger overtook her so much. And then we find out about the power her mother had when her anger overtook her. And I thought that was a really good way to be like, yeah, these are the heroes, but they're not these perfectly good characters that you see sometimes in heroes. They they're flawed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, for me, um, I always kind of go back to there's there's a quote that one of the characters says, Ben says, and it says, none of us are truly good all the time, but we try. And it's when we stop trying that the darkness can take us. I hope you'll always try. And I feel like that's sort of, I don't know if that's like my philosophy on life. <laughs> that's like getting a little too deep, but I feel that it, it is um, definitely a thread that I had going through the entire book and I think that that's definitely one of the things that make that makes Feely so special is is that she has to accept that she's not good all the time um, and that's okay but the most important thing is that she just keeps striving or trying um, because once you stop then that's when darkness comes in creeps in grows and and takes over so yeah and you faced her against some pretty big challenges. Um, one thing I totally was not suspecting is near the end game of the book when Amir uh, goes back to find someone to save King Ben for it to be uh, Kaz. And I was like, oh, th this is interesting. This is quite a challenge she has to face because you built up that her first love so much. And then to have to face him and him just not remember anything because of the pact he made for his power. Like, yeah, it, it is definitely a 
twist, and I have to, I don't want to like brag about myself, but I have to say I was kind of proud of that moment as well, <laughs> um, bringing that in. Um, the, and I remember when I, I sent it to my first editor and she got to that point, I remember her comment was just, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so I was pretty, pretty happy that that twist kind of came about. Um, yeah. I mean, I think i have also kind of of the belief that people come into our lives at different points in different times and we can kind of look at lives in terms of chapters and and it's beautiful when certain chapters end um and sometimes we don't necessarily expect them to reopen um because sometimes they can reopen in a really great way and sometimes they can reopen and you wish that it never did because <laughs> so um yeah, I mean, it's also, um, you know, a pretty good literary device there. Let's just uh, throw a wrench in the plans. <laughs> such, such a wrench. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I just was not expecting this when, like, when he disappeared, when Amar disappeared, I was like, he he's doing, like, you've established he's a good enough character that he's like, not like, ah, I'm just getting back home to save my parents. I was like, something more is happening here. But then when he brought the healer, I was like, oh, this was a good twist. So I really enjoyed that as well. Yay, I'm glad I could pull a twist. Right. So one of the other things you created in this book that I don't think I've ever seen before was the plant that was planted in the water that made everyone pass out. That oh, I, uh, yes, that was such a cool concept. Where did, did was that inspired by anything, or you just needed, you know, was that something to drive the story? Or I mean, it probably was. I kind of feel like everything that's in there is probably inspired some way from you know the the books and the movies I watched as a kid, or the random imagination I had as a kid, or like nightmares or something. I'm sure there's inspirations in the world somewhere um but i definitely wanted some sort of plant that is poisonous but carries its own antidote within it because again i love that idea of um something that could potentially save you and be really good also has the power to seriously harm you or be really bad and always having this duality going at the same time and I'm also I hate spiders I think they're terrible and awful I used to be super arachnophobic as a kid I'm okay now um like I can manage um functionally but I still hate them so much so to me they're like just I know they have like good purposes for the ecosystem and in the world and I know they're not like consciously bad things but I just I they're terrifying to me still in some ways. And I just, I hate, I hate them. Um, and so I think I, the idea of death root being this like spidery little plant that's just like oozing into the water is to me really not something pleasant. So <laughs> that's just, I decided that if I found it unpleasant, then maybe other people would too. Yeah. I, I mean, the, your description of it, like spidery and everything. I'm like that. Yeah, that's kind of way more disgusting than I thought of it in my head. Like <laughs> scary, like 
because uh, in my head, I just kind of thought of it as like this plant that grew out. But now you're like describing it as spidery. I was like, yeah, that could be really, really creepy to look at. Yeah. And just like bleeding out into the water. Just, you know, I just thought I'd throw some some bloody imagery in there. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there was uh, that that battle scene had some good bloody imagery as there the fighting was quite intense between um the evil army and the good guys just to simplify it but that was intense and you know at one point i'm like and they're slicing through this and slicing through that i'm like oh that that's a pretty bloody battle yeah writing those was interesting i've never really written um battle scenes before because as I said I I was never really deeply into that kind of fantasy growing up Um, I mean Narnia had battles sure but like you know Alice in Wonderland wasn't like slashing things (laughs) I mean I guess off with their heads kind of but I mean it was not nothing really I never really read anything super super graphic um, in that way so I I definitely um wanted to make sure that they seemed i want to say realistic but then also it's like a world of magic so how realistic is things and that's kind of the excuse i give myself a lot of the time um but i i kind of wanted to make it realistic as like as realistic as i could but also not shy away from it being gory and and terrible because i didn't I didn't want the violence to be kind of just for the sake of violence. Um, I, I wanted it to be clearly um, terrible. I mean, it's always terrible, but I, I wanted to sort of show just just the reality of, of what's going on um, in, in the forest and the people living in the forest. And, and it is really, really awful. So I I tried to make those those scenes as awful as I could, um, and sometimes it's weird the things that, that I've that you know emerge in my brain. I don't know, man. I don't know where half that stuff comes from, but it's good when you're writing, I guess. You know, those exist. You know, and going to my uh, driving story of driving back. You know, I was driving the car and my wife and daughter are asleep in the back and we're driving through Pennsylvania and we we reach this point where all the towns look exactly the same mm. and we passed a, a big rig truck for one of the local food restaurants and then in the next town we passed the big rig truck again and you know I had one of those story thoughts and I was like huh how about a story where a dude's driving a car and he's dead and he doesn't know it, but it's this deja vu thing. He keeps driving past mm-hmm. the same town with the same truck. Uh, and it's not till like the 50th time that it happens that he starts to realize something's wrong and that he's just kind of stuck in this infinite loop. So, yes, huh. those those thoughts pop up when you get into the specific zone. In my case, it was our like a ghostly groundhog day. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> It's very much a gross, ghostly groundhog's day. Yeah. Yeah. Imagination is a weird thing. 
It's um, I want to say it has a mind of its own, but I feel like that's like such a weird, punny, cheesy thing to say. But, but it it does. <laughs> oh, I I read so I try to filter between doing a fiction book and then a nonfiction book, and I was reading one. I don't even remember what it was now, but he spent a whole chapter discussing where thoughts come from and if your thoughts are you because you don't control your thoughts, but you control your action. I'm like, this is getting real deep, real deep right now. Well, that's like the whole basis behind like the the philosopher Rene Descartes, right? I think before I am, the whole... process behind that was how do I know that I exist well I know that my thoughts exist and I know that I'm connected to my thoughts so yes I think so thought I I mean yeah thoughts are wild they are they can be um uh, the final character thing I wanted to talk about was between Mm -hmm. the the connection between uh Falili and Amar um just their parallels i didn't make the connection that you end up establishing between them but i was like there's got to be something here because like it both starts with them getting evicted in different ways of course um and then they both have to go on an adventure and this adventure leads to something grandiose and they realize something about who they are um Mm. and that connection I know that you're tying them together in that way, but where did a thought of like those two characters like that are kind of living a similar life stream because of that connection come from? Um, where did they come from? I think from what was important to me, I think was that with Philly and Emmer, I wanted them to, each as as much as they have similar experiences i i think that that is also really interesting the idea of um the two different worlds i love the idea of the world with enchantment coinciding with the world without kind of following same kind of timeline they're existing in completely different realities but they kind of coexist without coexisting if that makes sense um but as much as they had similarities, I really wanted Philly and Emmer. With them, they each have have something else that the other needs. So on their own, they're 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 great. They're they're wonderful and and you know fabulous creatures. But um, they have so much that they can learn and and support and take from each other. So they're definitely stronger together so I guess I, I I wanted their situations to sort of mirror each other um, so that it I don't know I don't know why I wanted it to mirror them there's probably a deep philosophical reason um, <laughs> that I'm not articulating very well but I really just wanted them to realize um, how much they need in each other and of course that stems from their um connection we'll call it that um but the idea of you know people from the world with enchantment linking in some way to the world without that idea i just kind of have right away because i think it's wonderful to think of 
you know, with pixie, Pixies and Maidens is kind of where the it starts, where, you know, a pixie is kind of linked to a woman in the world without enchantment. And their job is to take care of them, protect them, make sure their family is safe, and, and just look out for them, essentially be this wonderful best friend figure and and in return they get to learn these wonderful human qualities like bravery and and strength and love and i just think that's wonderful i just really think that that's a lovely kind of way to think of life just this magical other entity that has your back and and is a part of you in some way i don't know (laughs) what does that say about me (laughs) I mean, it. I don't think believing in something magical says anything there. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that that connection was really cool. You know, the way pixies are born and that connecting the two worlds that way. Um, I think the final question I was left with the book, especially with the way it ended, is going, did Amar ever pay his rent or did he move to the forest permanently? <laughs> Is he a human in the forest now? Cause it seems like he could almost fit in there, but he couldn't at the same time. Cause he'd be so different than everyone else. So. Right. That's, that's, that's the question. It is. It was the cliffhanger of the book to wonder what's next for everyone. Because they now have to rebuild a world that had been very different for the past 16 or so years when, you know, mm-hmm. King Ben was locked down in the uh, basement. So. <laughs> yeah, locked in the basement. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think a lot of the times we think of these epic adventures and epic stories and, and things kind of end when the final battle is over. Um And that's not really the reality of life and a lot of things. So they definitely, things will take time, but um, the the good of the forest tends to be pretty strong. So I would say that the power of the forest is definitely... um, It's it's been through worse, and it, and, it... this will not be the last challenge it faces, um, but it it goes on. Life goes on. <laughs> well, I know I said this when we started talking about this book. This was just a ton of fun, and it was just one I couldn't put down. Uh, so I definitely recommend this to my listeners and to the DFAT Entertainment Network. Check out Acorn and Roots. Uh, I picked it right up on Kindle, but I'm sure you can find it in wherever you tend to get books. so Yes, anywhere books are sold, Acorns and Roots is there. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other projects to plug or talk about while you're here? Um, I mean, things are now starting to get to what we're going to call normal again, so that's great. So I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to pop up in terms of now that things are, are 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 coming back into, you know, the entertainment world is 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 back up and running. So I'm I'm waiting to see what comes to fruition from some stuff there. Um, writing wise, I'm always writing. I'm I'm always always writing. Um, I don't have anything that I can say concretely at the moment, but 
I will say that um, the the Enchanted Forest has a lot of stories, and um, there is definitely more that could be told. I this would be a world that I would enjoy returning to, um, and I know that there's a vast history that you have semi-established for this world. So doesn't all need to be future tense potentially i mean there are stories that can be told there are definitely some stories that that can be told and um wouldn't it be nice if there were more yeah so that's what i've got going on these days (laughs) all right well if you don't have anything else to plug thank you for coming on um thank you so much for having me it was such a pleasure oh you're welcome uh yeah, just check out the book, um, listeners. It was a lot of fun to read. So have a good, well, for you, it's just reaching night. So mm-hmm. have a good night. Have a good night as well. Podcast this.